Hello, my friend. Welcome back to another episode of this, the podcast. Yes, it's the podcast, the podcast. Did you know that there are over two million? No, I shouldn't really go into a sentence with full confidence unless I'm sure of the fact. I was going to say there are over two million podcasts, but I think in the middle of the pandemic, I God, that's like a time, right? It's like a, it's like a benchmark in our lives that we commonly all share uh, as an experience as a human experience we share that those two years or how many ever months as uh, a common understanding it's very interesting actually i wasn't sure what i was going to talk about in this particular uh, feature but i realized i just found it out while i was talking to you man this is brilliant hey so there are a lot of things you can't agree on, like, for instance, your preference, my preference, your idea of something, your sense of something, your, um, you know, your your aversion to something, or maybe your, your fondness of something. It's all personal, it's all subjective, and it's all absolutely fucking beautiful. But there are some things we can agree on. Like, of course, there are people within the lockdown and the pandemic and the vaccine and the COVID thing who are anti-vaxxers, pro-vaxxers, whatever the fuck. Screw them. Let them be there. Let them exist or... Who knows? Maybe not exist. I don't know. But it's just as an overarching theme, it's one thing we can say we all went through together as humanity. That it was, of course, there are some people now who will say the earth is not flat, earth is not round. There are some people who deny the Holocaust. But there is one thing, at least in our uh, time, uh, in the past 50 years, that we can collectively see and say, uh, we went through it together because, of course, there are things going on like um, climate change events. Um, there are things which are going on globally. Uh, there is the war in Ukraine, uh, which is affecting people. But all those things are happening in that region, right? But every part of the world, every corner of this globe, every particular uh, I don't know, how, how else can I explain this uh, this 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 universality even universal yeah can you believe that so everyone on this planet even like my favorite place vanuatu got affected by covid that's pretty good so you can like for instance you can go uh for instance you can go somewhere like say madurai i don't know or you can go to like say you know uh Trying to, I'm trying to sound intelligent with uh, the next city slash province slash town slash village. Uh, I want to sound global. I want to sound cool, but I can't think of anything. What is that little shitty? What's that place in Peru, man? Like that place, La Paz. Okay, yeah. Now you sound cool. Now you just say, said it. You go to La Paz and you say something like, um, "Did you know that?" You know, Auschwitz was one of the most horrific sites of the Holocaust, where so many millions of and hundreds of thousands of people were brutally killed they're like we didn't know we, we didn't experience anything remotely so horrific in our country or maybe they're like oh shit yeah you think that's bad look what happened here last week but it's a different experience in the sense there's um of course common themes of human suffering uh, common themes of um yes there is uh injustice and there is a brutality and all those things which are common human themes and experiences that connect us but it's a different Parallel. They might say we had something like this. But if you go to La Paz, you go to Vanuatu, I don't know the capital of Vanuatu, you go to Fiji, you go to the Solomon Islands, you go to Hawaii, or you go to Madurai, and you tell them, Do you, you know, have COVID? 
uh, the pandemic. Everyone's like, yeah, we fucking had the COVID pandemic as well. So it's just the introduction, maybe, or the starting point. I don't know why I'm sounding so eager. Um, is something that we all share. Now, where that goes is their own story. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, fucking a. But I don't know why I brought it up because I want to talk about something else. Forgot. Yeah. Actually, I was thinking, would I make a good prostitute? Because, eh, you know, why, the, the reason why is, because I'll tell you later on in the introduction, because the book that today's guest wrote is set in a setting which is a red light district. So I was thinking about that. And then I was thinking, will I make or would I have made? Will I make? There's still a possibility. So will I make a good prostitute? Because, see, of course, um, it has to be by choice. I shouldn't be forced into trafficking, which I think would suck for everyone. And if it is a sad thing. Uh, but I like the idea of something being done by choice, right? An informed choice, not pressured into it for money or lack of other options. But if you had an option like, uh, should I do a course in, in the culinary arts or should I take up a course in yoga certification or should I become a certified art courtesan? Uh, is that the right word for a male prostitute? Uh, or in an escort. I don't know because see, it involves a lot of work. You have to physically be appealing. Uh, I mean, not just your bar, eh? But I mean also your manners, your tricks of the trade. But, yeah, you know why? Also, I thought of this because I was reading this uh, book, one of these many books, which is set about the spy organizations, and they were talking about the FSB, the the former KGB, and how. There's a school for these spies who are specially trained, men and women, men and women, eh, who are specially trained in the arts of sex and how they can use it to manipulate potential, uh, you know, a, I wouldn't say foreign agents, but potential um, sources. Like they can, they can go to like, you know, undercover. They can go to these different people, men and women, and they can kind of hook up with them, then honey trap and kind of uh, use them to convert them into uh, field agents or into uh, their in, into their sort of resources for the spy agency. So yeah, they they they, tra they train these people. Of course, besides the other things that you need to be a spy and a thing like like the the fighting and the secrecy and the reconnaissance and the um how how what's the the reconnaissance uh, how to sort of uh, trail someone um, I don't know the right words today but yeah they also treat there's also a way to make these people into lethal sex weapons not 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 like to kill someone through sex but yeah, imagine that would be funny right like that how do you kill people <laughs> shag the shit out of them but no I'm saying they uh, genuinely are trained how to be really really good in bed so maybe I'll go for one of those things uh, see by the way I haven't discussed any of this with my wife just a thought, right? I mean, it's all hypothetical at this point. I haven't really even gone on Google and say how to become a a a sexassin. <laughs> so, but I don't know. Maybe my, my lack of sight might be a problem. Unless there's some kinky uh, woman out there. Uh, will, will I be? Will I be open to men? Yeah, I'm not going to be open to men. No, I I, I draw the line there. Uh, how much ever you offer me. Uh, but yeah, to some kinky woman out there who's like, yeah, that's what I dig a guy who can't see, who has one good eye but two bad eyes. <laughs> that's that's my that's my. I don't know. Do you have a prostitute uh, like a 
page, like a calling card, like Sadi Prao, the the guy with one, the what the. The sexassin with one good eye. You just gotta drop his pants to find. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. Anyway, if I do take myself up on that offer, I let you guys know because I won't be doing. I'll be doing this. Ah, that'll be good. A sexassin with one good eye who also has his own podcast, the Soapy Ra Show. I mean, imagine after every time I finish, I get paid. I like. By the way, guys. Uh, by the way, ma'am. By the way, woman. Uh, if you like podcasts, you should check out the Soapy Rao Show on wherever you get your podcast. This is what I'm telling you, but I'm pretending that I'm telling my potential client who I'll never meet, potentially, uh, because I haven't really even gone into the course. Maybe I go to Russia to become trained as a thing, and then I'll come as an undercover Russian agent and convert all the rich Bollywood uh, and the uh, sort of the business tycoon's wives and get all the secrets Um and I'm being so open about it because who knows? Maybe that's my ploy. I'm so open that I'm secretive. Or maybe, who knows? Maybe I'm already, ah, who knows? So yeah, that's a thing. Maybe go to like some, some sort of a hidden dacha in the middle of Siberia and I get trained in all the things. Or maybe I can be an Indian thing because we have the, the so-called Kama Sutra, which people rave about. You know, we have Kama Sutra. Kama Sutra. If you know about the Kama Sutra and you keep raving about how we're the land of the Kama Sutra, why is that most Indians... Don't even know more than half a position. Yeah. It's the position that Indians, that modern Indians practice is a comfortable place for my belly position. So I don't have to do too much work or I need a good mattress position. Yeah. Crazy. Anyway, so maybe I'm one of these. Maybe, maybe. I feel I can't just be a prostitute. I think I have to add something to it because I I get bored easily. And while the, uh, I don't know, man, you know, as I said earlier on, the preferences and the things, I, I, I'm very sort of picky. I don't like, I imagine some chick uh, was like, yeah, here's the money, I used to sleep with you. And she has like body order. I'm like, fuck that, I'll return the money. So I'll need to have something else to keep my mind occupied. So maybe I'll become like some kind of life coach and prostitute slash. I need a slash in my job description uh, or my job title, prostitute slash. So maybe therapist slash life coach slash. Um, yeah, I think a contrasting thing would be good. I couldn't. I couldn't be like a, an escort prostitute, sl- prostitute escort slash masseuse because now it's too close. I need something like um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah, prost- escort slash blind golfer. Yeah, something like that. Very contrasting. So they'd be like, "What do you do besides this?" I go hit some golf balls. They're like, "Oh wow, that's interesting. How is that?" Yeah, can you feel the stroke? What exactly? Just thinking. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking about it like it's already like sort of set in stone, but no, let's find out. Anyhow, before I sort of lose the plot and seriously believe myself, which is a very strong possibility if I had to keep talking about it, uh, I'm going to talk to you about today's guest. Rijula Das is an author. Why do you sound like, an, like a TV presenter? I don't know. It's just sort of, uh, it's not rehearsed, is it? No, it's not rehearsed. She's um, an author who writes fiction. Her book, a death in Shonagachi, re-released to the world as Small Death. This just now, ah, yeah, hey, yeah, September 2022. It's called Small Death. Uh, yeah, you can get it. Yeah, if you're in India, you get a death in Shonagachi. It's the same book. Um, we 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 had fun. We speak about her her move to New Zealand and how it is living culturally immersed in a culture that is different, yet at the same time, uh, at the far end of the uh, planet. Yeah, but see, even she can 
talk about COVID to a New Zealander because that's a common experience. I mean, she was there during the lockdown. So we speak about COVID being from, we're Indian. But yeah, it's interesting, you know, we talk about what it means to be um, culturally um, kind of placed in a different environment, right? Because it's sometimes you think, oh, just because you, you're Indian, I'm Indian, or you're American, I'm Indian, or I'm Indian, you're American, or you're native, I'm American, what? We are different. But sometimes you might have something more common with, say, a Bangalorean and a Californian than a Bangalorean and a Bihari. I'm just saying, it's context, it's perspective, it's upbringing, it's family, it's language, it's food, it's so many things. So it's, we speak about that, we speak about a bunch of other things which are also lovely uh, when it comes to shared experiences, comes to perspective and what influences her writing style. Uh, we talk about this environment, this 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 the, this depth of so many different human experiences and emotions that exist in the place that she writes about, which is Shonagachi, which is a red light district in Calcutta. And um, and how that is pretty much the setting for her book, but also for our conversation and how we can learn about our lives and the larger human um, thing, the thing that we call human. Yeah. So all in all, lovely conversation with a very interesting person and if you are someone who reads and if you can read oh great you should get the book a death in shonagachi small death if it's outside the india right so without further ado here's my conversation with Rijaladas. thank you my friend as always for listening to this podcast till the next episode goodbye god bless take care of yourselves cheers and catch you on the other side Rijula Das, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me, Sandeep. Lovely. It's it's nice that uh, we're sitting here and chatting about uh, your book, which of course is out, and I was confused. But I, I, I also, um, you, it's it's very interesting for me when I kind of talk to people who aren't in the typical, you know, like either it's Bombay or whether it's New York or whether it's Chicago or London. And then, because I've never been to New Zealand and I want to know um, what took you there? Oh, um, very boring. I just, uh, I followed my partner. Okay. We were in Singapore and ah. um, I've lived in a few places and I was doing a PhD in Singapore and I finished my PhD and I didn't have a particular reason to stay on in Singapore mm. and um, we just started dating then actually and uh, he got a job in New Zealand and he was like do you want to come I was like yeah well why not so that's pretty cool <laughs> I mean that's pretty bold on your part you're like yeah let's go to the end of the world and see how this works out <laughs> I mean, it's just like to me it doesn't make sense because I think I've lived on my own and mm. in different parts of the world for so long it doesn't make sense for me to say no to moving somewhere and because everywhere is a flight away if you think about it like yeah. you're never stranded like if it really doesn't suit you or doesn't work you can you just always if you have money to buy a flight home yeah you can go anywhere in the world that's a nice perspective because you kind of feel so connected through that perspective, right? Others, it's so easy to be isolated, even living in the biggest city in the world. You can just be like, oh my God, I'm so alone. But what you just said makes sense. And now 
and I think it makes sense as a relationship because my wife and I, before we got married, we were doing long distance, right? She was uh, studying yeah. in New York. I was in Bangalore and it was tough. So I'm glad that you actually physically went. And so which is which which city is India? Were you born in India? Was, uh, is that... yeah, yeah, I grew up. I'm, I'm Indian. I grew up in India. Mm. I was born in India. I left India in 2012. Uh-huh. Um, but... Um, yeah, as a fully formed person. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I'm not I'm not diasporic or I didn't grow up grow up anywhere else. So India's very I mean, of course, you know, every year um you sort of realize that you've been living away, mm. you know, one more year. Um, so uh I guess in some ways the distance grows. But I think it's still very different from people who grew up somewhere else. Mm. I have cousins who grew up in America, and they're American. Um, yes, they're bicultural, and they have Indian parents, and you know they speak Bengali and stuff like that. But mm. they're they're American at the end of the day. Um, it's, yeah, but it's interesting you mentioned that because are they really American? Because I was talking to someone about this, um, this whole thing of um, whether it's a Jamaican born in America, whether it's a, a, you know an a Indian, especially more so with. Um, you know, say Asians or um, Indians, because there's such a strong cultural pull, and there's also this need or this uh, this craving to belong to the American popular culture. Yet there's this other pull, which sort of I wouldn't say it holds them back, but they kind of their color ho- their color prevents them from being a first class citizen, in, in, especially in America. And, and yeah, it's it. You know, as an as a, as an Indian who, as you said, fully formed Indian who left India, um, what do you sense as a person reside, residing in in say Wellington? That's where you're living now. But um, the the reason I'm coming up with this question is because I lived as a student in 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 America, and you lived as a student in Singapore. Uh, so w- since you have this perspective of traveling and also spending some time in a certain society, w- what is your um, I would say opinion on how accepting certain societies are and also how has that shaped you into the person you are and maybe then we can get into the writer that you have become right so when you say accepting as a society you mean um uh, these are the countries that i've i've lived in is that is that correct? Uh, yeah i mean just maybe you know of course i, I it's not I, I i don't know whether i'm speaking specifically about tolerance and acceptance but also a sense of how much you of an effort you have to make to be a part mm-hmm. of it as opposed to retaining your identity your values your your perspective and because there's a sense that you try to be over indian in certain places because that's what you think might work it does that make any sense I mean, I think it it does, um, you know, depends on the place that you're migrating to. Mm. Also depends on the individual. I think just going back to Americans, Indians, Indian Americans, uh, they don't, they are, they are Americans there. They are Indian Americans. But I mean, this society is fully formed. Like it's a fully functioning society. It's like, you know, I just finished the second season of Indian matchmaking, Mm. which I suppose everybody has seen. But it's, it's a total... It's a total functioning society in itself. You have your uncles and aunts, and I have large parts of my extended family who moved about 50, 60 years ago. So yeah. 
now we have second generation like my nephews and nieces are second generation americans yeah. my cousins are first generation americans and while they are indian americans they are very american mm. um we have i mean you know politics wise or um thought wise or um they, they're american you know it's yeah. it's not um it's not the same as 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 my perspective on things but also they have a very set they have a they have a fully functioning indian american society mm. which is very vast which is very um i mean you know you can see in the indian match indian matchmaking thing like everybody is marrying indians yeah. all my cousins married indians you know right. um, and uh, the thing is that um I, i'm just saying that it's not like a matter of very big effort like you can find indian food in america more or mm. less anywhere you can probably go without speaking english if you just like keep your circle very tight um say you don't speak english you just got married and your husband works in america you can go a few years not just talking in your indian language you know yeah um yeah. that's not the case in places like new zealand or singapore mm. you can do that in uk and us Yeah. Maybe yeah. to a smaller extent you can do it in Australia because these these places have had uh Indians coming through since the 40s, you know, mm. essentially. Um maybe even before. I mean the 40s that I know of, I, I'm not very well read on the history of that mm. that side of immigration. But um it's just been happening for so long. Like I think Indian Americans as are as American as Italian Americans are American, you know, like Yeah. I don't think there is there's a functional difference because nobody is like oh we are the original americans and these people moved in um just, and I think that's as much as we are indians because I have more in common with bangladeshis than I do with people from tamil nadu Absolutely. we don't even speak the same language you know Absolutely. like I mean, yeah. we are a union of states um and territories so um we are also in some ways we're also in our own little subcultures um, yeah. except if you live in the four big metro cities um it all sort of comes together there yeah 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 if you don't if you don't live in the four metros you are essentially living in a in a small subculture so you know i mean and um which is where the um i think the division of countries is quite arbitrary and art- artificial because mm. uh, parts of um uh pakistan will speak punjabi and you know the dialect uh that parts of you know west punjab will speak uh bengalis and bangladeshis for example same culture same language yeah. so um you know so it's just like sort of it's very arbitrary what we say is you know this and that so yeah but i think like where in uh, places like wellington or singapore where there's not a set diasporic culture here is the temple here are you know here's the bengali association or the marathi oh, association yeah. i think you have to either make the effort and there are people who make the effort to keep their indianness alive or to do indian things and stuff like that yeah. and then you know you have people like myself to whom that's not very important like it's never i don't like i don't miss it it's not like yeah. I have to have. So I think it also depends on the individual. I started seeing it as a generational thing because I think that um for my uncles and aunts when they left like it was very important for them to be connected to 
um, the cultures that they grew up with, you know. Yeah. And um, also, they didn't have to do that much of an effort. Like, um, they have Durga Puja and they put up uh, Tagore's shows and uh, they rehearse and they sing and dance and all of yeah. those things. But I think, I don't know if my generation, there are obviously a lot of people who are who still want to do that, but I think it's it's a bit less necessary for us like mm. i don't find it necessary for my survival in a way you know somebody who went to the us in the 70s might have thought that they really really needed indians around them um to mm. sort of emotionally survive if that makes sense it's very interesting you mentioned that because uh, there is this sort of sense in the world where you feel almost like there's a resurgence or there's this uh, call to action where, you know, raise the flag, stand up for the national anthem, especially in India. I'm sure you've read of um, situations where people are persecuted for not standing up for the national anthem or various other situations like that. And in a time like this, where people are really trying to sort of stand up for national identity, and you're right, when you mentioned that India is a collection of states, there's more in common. Um, I, in fact, will sit and talk to a friend of mine who grew up in LA, an Indian guy, and we're chilling and talking about, say, the Joe Rogan podcast, or we're talking about Dave Chappelle's stand-up, than I have in common with someone from, say, Ludhiana, right? I don't speak the language, or uh, there's no common thing, except for the fact that I, I love the food, and he might, or she might like the food, which uh, is from the part I'm from. But there's this idea that when you travel abroad, we're all Indian, uh, especially in certain countries. Like, uh, my sister lives in Singapore, so I, that's an example. Like, you kind of all go for Diwali or you go for more genetic Indian festivals, right? You, you might go for something that is a national holiday back in India. But it's what do you think it is that... Uh, I feel what you just said, right? I've never been uh, Indian in that that way, right? Going for the, the, the... Like, I'm a Kanadiga from Karnataka. So when in America they had this Kanada Kuta, which is like the Bengali Association, but they have these specific festivals which are um, uh, festivals or activities which are sort of related to the identity of Kanadigas. Um, and I, I never felt a certain draw to it. And, you know, maybe going for like the first day, first show of a Bollywood movie or going and eating a certain thing. I mean, the food, of course, was always a thing when you're a student and, you know, someone's yeah. like, would you like free food? You're like, of course, I don't care what it is. But um, what do you think it is that makes you comfortable not... Re um, sort of celebrating this, these things, whether it's being a part of associations or g gathering with other Indians, uh, what makes you comfortable with your identity? What do, you, what do you think that is? And what do you think is this other end which is making people more insecure with their um, identity and this draw to, oh, you know, we need to sort of flaunt our Indianness, for lack of a better word? Well, you know, I, I honestly think that um, the insecurity about being Indian and having to flaunt it I think that's a that's a very sinister manipulative political line mm. and I don't know how deep we want to go into that but that oh, is I'm happy to go into it I as I told you it's not a political <laughs> podcast but I'm happy talking about everything yeah I mean yeah. I think that is that is a very um that's that's a diet that is being fed mm. for very uh sinister purposes to create uh, that sense and and mm. that's been happening over the last six years seven years mm. um, and that's a very uh, sustained program right. which is 
what leads to the oppression of minorities and the the increased um, problems with free speech and incarcerating anybody who disagrees with you that we're mm. seeing in in our country i mean this is you know the the, the thing is that nobody is reinventing the wheel the thing is everything has been done before yeah. so this is a classic play from the fascist handbook mm. um and one of those things is a rise in national identity pride feeling which mm. is a very um and if you look at if you study fascist regimes anywhere across the world mm. is the same thing happens everywhere yeah there is always a resurgence of hum ye hai like this is us and and uh, boiling down of this identity into one essentially uh, essentializing little story you know mm. uh, whereas the truth is that there was no india before the british left yeah there was no india it was just this it's a collection there were small states they were yeah. independently ruled they had their own cultures they were their own fiefdoms yeah. then the british came and then they colonized it as a country yeah. and then 200 years later when they left when we managed to kick them out we had a country in the the political sense of the term that that a nation state exists uh how we understand it with you know one constitution and stuff like that but but you know you can't nobody is going to buy that narrative if you're selling that narrative to create a certain um craze about patriotism or mm. nationalism you know so um so unfortunately it's it's a pack of lies at the end of the day and mm. um you know and it's also always in opposition to somebody like oh we need to be proud of our heritage but what is our heritage what Absolutely. what heritage are we talking about and yours and mine are very different in what we look yeah, for yeah 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 Or is the is the heritage of the Chola dynasty or the Pal dynasty <laughs> or the <laughs> the Myanmaris or yeah. or the Mughals? Like we've had so we have so much heritage. Like what heritage are we even talking about? Like it's not like we have only one heritage that you know. Like but that's that's the nature of history. That's the nature of human civilization. Yeah. So so unfortunately, you know this this whole hum hum Bharatiya hai. This is a very manufactured. It's it's a dream. You know, it's a fantasy. Mm. It's, it's it's a brand. And, and it's like a story that brand. someone else has written to suit them, right? It almost sounds like there are ten traits that this this particular yeah. identity needs, and if you don't fit those ten traits or those ten characteristics or whatever the word you want to use for it, you're not Indian or not suiting yeah. our agenda, whatever the 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 agenda yeah. may be. And we've always had that brand. Um, mm. See, Hindi was my third language in in school. I don't and, even speak uh, it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm not Indian. <laughs> everybody, everybody has that. Um, had those Hindi books. Yeah. There was the the Adarsh Balak one. So Adarsh Balak does this. Adarsh Balak does that. Mm. Uh, you know, they, the the Adarsh Balak will do X Y Z. So you know, it's, it's a bit. It's a template like that. But we've always had brand India, and like say, there's been a brand Congress, for example. Like, yeah. You know, they wear khadi. I'm talking about '90s India because I grew up in the '90s India. Yeah. There's there's been a brand brand Congress. Let's say there's there's an India there. There is an India that is um you know the the brand brand like that '90s India was very Malaysian. Mera tumhara that sort of the song. You know that to mm. me that epitomizes that that sort of thing. But there is also you know there's other kinds of 
uh, India, like Amul Ads is a yeah. kind of brand. Like I'm just saying that that nations are are brands, and yeah. sometimes you can use them to advertise, but you can also you can also like like Tourism India does, you know, yeah. as a matter of fact. But you can also uh, turn that brand to feed a very sinister kind of uh, patriotic or nationalist style, which then becomes intolerant of any other views. You know, in fact, uh, someone had put something up and I think they had a quote from Tagore uh, in which I'm I'm obviously paraphrasing, in which he says, it's a scary situation when patriotism overtakes humanity in the sense, I think what uh, is that if, if, if the idea of patriotism is put up above the value of human life. I think that's a it's, a it's a scary situation. And I think a lot of time, and this is not just in India. I mean, of course, we are both Indian, so we can talk about it in this context, but it's happening everywhere in a lot of countries. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I want to say that this is also not, not new in the sense that there's always, like I said, like, you know, there's, there's no reinventing the wheel. This has happened in you know, Nazi Germany, this has happened because that was one of the main things, the, the rise in German nationalism is a yeah. whole subject in itself. Like, you know, um, the UK had that. UK has had vast periods when they were the most imperialistic, uh, yeah. conquering everywhere. There's a big, you know, it's not, it's not new. Like, just because it's 2022 and we're noticing it doesn't mean it's new. It's, it's happened. Humans are not... Very creative. It's a new publication. Let's call it that. (laughs) Yeah, we're actually like doing the same things that we've done throughout our history and civilization. You know, we don't like humans don't actually go off template as much as we think that we do. Yeah, we're pretty self-destructive in our, at least we're consistent in our (laughs) (laughs) self-destructiveness. We're very very consistent. We just, we just try the same things over and over again. The color of the people, the language, the food, all that changes, but it's pretty much. All that changes, (laughs) but it doesn't actually change anywhere. Yeah. So I I actually, which is again, I think a reason that I don't really believe in, in national like I, I don't believe in a nation state yeah. i don't believe in in a country you know like i don't think the country ends i don't think my country ends at the border security force yeah. and then uh, two steps next to to dhaka it's not my country i mean sure it's not politically it's not yeah. it's a separate entity but i understand when they talk to me like what am i supposed to do with that am i supposed to say no you're an alien like I don't understand. Yeah, you probably feel more at home there, two steps away from the so-called end of the Indian border than in Bangalore, right? Where you might not know the language, you might not know the food, which is very interesting that, I mean... Yeah, around the the dinner table, obviously, because my father came from Bangladesh before it was Bangladesh. Yeah. So I've never actually seen his home, you know, and if you go through and if you actually are talking about Indian culture and like, you know, the patrilinear culture, then that's where I come from. That's my ancestral home. Yeah. You know, if, if you start if you start looking at people's origins, I think we will find many of us come because we come from the subcontinent. We come from the Indian subcontinent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that you can, you know, you can you can twist that. But I also think that that people across the ages have um, seen have seen through the the scam that is nationalism yeah. uh, and it's, it's not just us you know i mean tagore saw through it uh you know other people i mean which is not to say that we don't love our countries but mm. what does it mean 
when we love our country yeah. we love a certain way of being we we love a certain way of um of, of seeing the world a viewpoint of food uh you know the way we do things or the way we talk or or sometimes it's just plain old nostalgia or even certain But, regions of the country which you yeah. would like to revisit or visit or you'd like certain yeah. i mean the, the, the rivers and the, of course we all I mean, I've never been. I've been to Calcutta, but I've never been, say, to other parts of uh, West Bengal. But I have certain parts in Karnataka which I'm like, you know, this this little part is India for me, or it's home. Let's yeah. call it that. And that's it's not where I belong, but it's it's something that I, um, you know, I don't know what the word is. Whether I take pride in it or it's something like, for instance, Bangalore, right? is now of course called bengaluru it's called the it city it's called so many different things but when we were growing up we never really had a kannadiga kannada speaking identity in bangalore in fact mm-hmm. like the school i went to we had muslims we had christians um i went to a girl school till the age of 9 uh, because it was coed till then but i remember like it was a mix right like our tiffin boxes were like a representation of bangalore it was someone bringing like an you know a keema puff someone bringing like a idli sambar someone bringing like a um whatever role i think that's what bangalore was you you would go for piano classes at a cathedral then i mean for me or then you would go to like a place called nizams for roles and then you would go to the bangalore club set up by the british i it's it was lovely and that's gone now it's like oh you don't if if you um are in a certain part then you are a hindi speaking part of bangalore you are in a kannada speaking part of bangalore you are uh, i'm not saying it's so distinct but it's still that is reared its ugly head right oh you are um like when you do a show in english people are like that show should be in canada i'm like no why don't you do another show in canada because you yeah. celebrate your canadaness and the language and what that culture represent for you because i for me canada is just a language and while i'm i speak the language and i i live in the state of karnataka it doesn't mean that i have to do everything in canada to be a kannadiga you know what i mean Yeah exactly I mean well, I also don't understand the insecurity because mm. I mean what India English is an Indian language it is yeah. an official language of India. We have a very Indian uh, way of speaking the language I, I agree mean, with We you. claim yeah. the language entirely it would be like saying that you know somehow you know the, the French language is used in France but it's also used in Belgium and Switzerland yeah. and it's it's a language i mean languages yeah. don't belong to anybody yeah. we make the language and india yeah. i think english i think at this point of time is a very indian language or it yeah. can be a very indian language yeah. um in yeah you know and in coming back to the the country point of view i, I always so it's been a 10 years that a decade this year that i, I don't live in india anymore okay. and i think to me whenever i um like you know going back to india it actually you, you don't even have to get to india it starts from the plane yeah like any india bound plane if you've ever been from somewhere else it's like it's instant it's 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 country like when i was going nobody was wearing a mask everybody was asking other people to switch seats everybody was taking out the bus and eating even if they didn't need to everybody was it's like you know it's like um, what i'm trying to say is that it's so much like a train journey that you used <laughs> yeah. to take in like yeah. the 90s you know it's like like a, a bus full of people going <laughs> back to yeah. india so in some ways that 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 aircraft is india is what i'm trying to say like no i totally I, get it know. like you would like for instance yeah. uh, an example of what you just said was when i was on a uh, air india flight it just so happened and you know typically if you had a non indian sitting next to you you would you you would like this lady had two kids 
and um, she, I was sitting in the front row because obviously I needed assistance. So I was sitting in the bassinet row, and then this lady's. Um, it's quite it's really weird because you, you take liberties with indians right when when um you're um in that se- and if it was like a, a non-indian i'm sure she wouldn't have done what she did because what happened was she was obviously taking care of this baby as, as she should and i think on takeoff the diaper fell and she's like just pick it up real quickly i'm like dude <laughs> it's, just, it's such an i mean the way she said it it's it you wouldn't tell a british person or an american person or a non-indian person just like like jaldi karo like that was the <laughs> attitude right? <laughs> it's so obvious why aren't you yeah like just pick it up or, yeah, yeah i get it totally yeah. it's more a yeah. vibe than any particular act i, I think that's what exactly. i sense yeah you know that's what i think that i don't but also like you know like nobody else has to fit into someone else's idea of what is patriotic or what is nationalist because yeah. who gets to decide right like i mean criticizing your country is an act of patriotism because it comes yeah. from deep love it comes from deep love and you want that improvement yeah 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 i mean unfortunately it, it like people don't have enough depth and you know and range and intelligence frankly to understand that you can you can only uh, criticize or demand change from a place of deep love uh that's absent know, though that's absent yeah. because certain traits and certain certain and as you said right there are certain things that are kept as the standards for national pride or nationalism yeah. and if those very shallow values as you said um like if you don't stand up for the national anthem you're seen as a, a traitor even though you might be in a wheelchair and you physically can't stand up it's ridiculous the things the stories you hear i mean i'm not saying all of it is um true or maybe all of it maybe exaggerated but i i mean i'm not going to uh, fact check or anything but just even yeah. the sense of that like that someone would even talk about that like it's i mean i'm not, I'm not saying the national anthem i, I don't like suddenly someone would be like this podcast promotes hatred no the <laughs> the thing you mentioned which it, it comes from a place of deep love but if you're not able to have the emotional maturity uh, to look deep then how do you even have a conversation with someone right because then it becomes a yelling match it becomes attacking each other for certain perceived values of pride and patriotism whatever the word you want to use yeah yeah i mean it's not saying that you know i mean demanding change yeah like i say you know it has to come from it's not just holding a flag you know holding a flag doesn't doesn't prove how much you love a country especially Or, if you just the next moment throw that flag flag in the bin uh, and clog the drains it means nothing <laughs> or bang plates yeah. to show that you know you care about yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. whatever it may be I mean, you're, you're right just, yeah i saw a tweet today actually where uh somebody posted a picture of a of a high rise in apparently in calcutta but who mm. knows every high rise looks the same all over yeah. the world and said that well it is you know um so sad that bengal that produced so many revolutionaries and not one single uh tricolor in any of the windows and and that's just a stupid thing to say like yeah that's not that's not that doesn't mean you love your country more or less is this like there are different ways of loving and what is loving your country you know like yeah. love like what is love like 
do we even understand the the con like you know we don't even understand the concept of human human love like much yeah. less the concept of loving yeah. your country and you know stuff like that you know no, it's I'm not sure the love between two people itself is so complex it's uh, so uh, complex yeah. yes yeah and, and then how can we apply that concept on such a large scale right <laughs> well you know i mean a better a better analogy is probably the love for your family like yeah. your love for your family is not is not Perfect. unquestioning it's yeah. not otherwise it's a tyranny if you can i mean you know it's just like it's like the analogy of that is people getting angry if um you know it's like never being able to say anything against your father or your mother yeah. like you'd have to every family fights you know you you have to be able to um to say well that's not right or that's not how i'm going to live my life or uh no i'm, I'm going to do things differently or i'm going to raise my kids differently um so you know shutting down dissent is is uh is the same if you do it across the country as you would do across the family like our relationships with our families are fraught uh they're not always uh you know linear like oh it is all yeah, yeah. it's very complex right yeah, yeah yeah it's not like those hindi like you know the the hindi books the the moral stories or whatever like in adarsh yeah. balak behaves like this it's, it's <laughs> that a book really bothered you <laughs> that book really got you when you were young <laughs> oh yeah i mean because they used to look so unreal like when yeah, you look yeah. at it, even the even the cartoon because you know they were they were like pictures you know mm. basically when you look at the picture and sometimes you were like nothing looks like this like what yeah. else does it look like this And you know, on, on, and on the flip side to that, it doesn't mean it's because you, you know, if I if I go to America and if I if I someone's like, oh, I love Bollywood movie, I'm like, oh, I can't stand it. They're like, oh my god, how, how can you be an Indian and not love Bollywood? I'm like, dude, that has absolutely no weightage on my yeah. being from India. In fact, I'm less Indian than a mo- lot of the American Indians, like you said, your cousins or whoever it may be, yeah. because their parents. said you have to watch it because it's your indianness that because they left it they felt that they have to put yeah. these things down and i i speak english as you said i speak english growing up in the 90s my favorite bands were i mean i'm going to say it out loud and don't judge me but air supply meatloaf um journey i i love these bands right i loved queen i i listened to um you know and i was looking forward to drinking beer like going to a pub and i'm sure if you if, if from calc- a very cool teenager <laughs> i mean i was like 19 20 but but I, you know what i mean like like calcutta bangalore there are a lot of those uh, similarities of listening smoking cigarettes and chilling yeah. and listening to uh, music whoever it may be right like the band or whatever the mm-hmm. the, the genre maybe but there was that sense and of of you know my my mom would take me to to, to plays at uh, these these theaters and um whatever it may be like you know it may not, it wasn't a kannada play even though our family we have poets who are kannada like who write in kannada it was you know maybe watching a um, nasiruddin shah play in english or it's it wasn't any of that made me less or more indian it was just my experience and that for me now is sort of something which is nostalgia and i think yeah. everyone is entitled to their unique experience that whatever circumstances that they grew up in gave them a chance to it doesn't take away or enhance your national identity i feel yeah absolutely and i think for me personally like i i come from a very i you know i come from a very middle class family mm-hmm. you know and uh it's not like my parents weren't speaking english at home like like you were i mean in the 90s and 2000s if you i mean i have some friends who who were who came from families like that but they're 
two or three social classes above me, you know, because that, that, that's, that's the kind of parents who would speak English at home or mm-hmm. had an English education and stuff. And But, you know, the thing is that I'm, I'm, I'm very Bengali, like in the yeah. sense that not, not an attribute. Like, I mean, I just, I know, I, I mean, I'm a translator. I translate from Bengali to English. I speak mm. the language really well at, a, at an academic level. Like I yeah. understand Bangla at a very deep level. I've, I've read a lot of Bengali literature. I understand Indian uh, Indian literature and Indian culture. So, like, I've never felt like I needed to cosplay being Indian because I like I that word. That I like I, that. I, yeah, <laughs> just wearing you know, a sari during <laughs> Diwali and yeah, I get yeah, it. Like, yeah, I don't need to because, but also like, it is pretty weird to me to celebrate Diwali if I'm not in Delhi. Like, right. I want to celebrate Diwali in Delhi because I lived in Delhi. I'm a JNU student. Mm. And I lived in Delhi for five years. And um, for me, Diwali is very related to Delhi because that's, yeah. you know, where it comes from. In Bengal, at that time, is Kali Puja. That's not, mm. it's not Diwali. So for me to, like, sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, I kind of, is Diwali. I kind of miss it. Okay, where's the Diwali thing happening in Wellington? Let's go there. But it's not, it's not, it's, it is a pretend, it's, it's a pretend play. It's not the real It's like, thing. it's like ladies night, you know, let's just go out because it so happens that everyone's coming together or it's like, yeah. or it's like, you know, TGIF kind of thing. I know what you mean. It's, it's yeah, not yeah. for the idea of Diwali because we have Diwali for you is Delhi, that, that setting, that, a uh, set of s- things that make that scenario happen. Yeah, absolutely. It's not. Yeah, I mean, you know, Delhi smells a certain way. There's yeah. a certain thing in the air. You know, Lajpat Nagar happens. Like it, it lights up in a certain. Like it's, Diwali belongs to that that belt. You know, that yeah, that yeah. part of India. Whereas that's not happening in in Calcutta. You know, that's not that's not how we do things there. So and but you know also like I also feel like. Um, like, see, if I don't go out to the the Indian Association Diwali Festival in yeah. Wellington, I don't, and I sit sit at home and watch Netflix. I don't stop being Indian. I'm still Indian. Like, are you nobody, sure? I think you're. I think you're no longer Indian. Like, like, uh, nobody's stealing my identity. Like, it's not like somebody's like, if I don't go, like a fairy will come and steal my passport and replace yeah. it with a different passport. It's like I don't have to prove to anybody that, that that this is my identity or my culture. It is part of me. It's like everybody can see it. You know, my skin color yeah. is brown. People can see it on me. I don't have it's to not going to wipe away. It's not going to wash away. Yeah. No, I don't know if people feel you have to be a part, like especially as a student, you have to be a part of Indian Association. You have to be a part of the... I'm like, you You are what you are. I mean, it's not like, like, not like you're trying to run towards it or escape it, right? This is, you are... Uh, even if you get a different passport, you are still Indian within yeah, your experience but as a human being. I, yeah, I think, I think it's I think it's loneliness to be honest. Like I yeah. don't I think that so I don't yeah you know like I mean I think I don't think that it is as much about uh, oh I'm gonna lose my identity. I'm just saying like from my point of view, I have never felt like I needed to do those things. Yeah, I, I could just be comfortably cosmopolitan because I think I I just I have a very solid foundation of who i am i've always yeah. had that and Maybe as you said in the beginning flight. right this idea if you can afford a flight ticket you're not really alone or you're not really uh, isolated or you're not really um far from any particular place in the world yeah. and similarly yeah. if you can communicate now of course then they add the finer layers of language and 
uh, whether yeah. you speak French or whether you speak Dutch or whether you speak Bangla, whether you speak English. Okay, fair enough. Those things do happen. But for the most part, if you speak English, you're really never that f- alone anywhere in the world because you may be sitting, as you said, in, in, in Wellington or you may be sitting in Bangalore or you may be sitting in New York and you will find another human being to talk to. Now, if you want to find things to separate you from him or her, then you can. You can say your gender, your your sexuality, mm-hmm. your nationality, your ethnicity, whatever these words are. But on a very fundamental level, if you can communicate uh, in some shape or form, I know some people can't speak it, some people might not be able to physically speak, you, you can actually find that the human experience isn't that alone. Yeah, I mean, it depends on your, I think some people need, like, you know, they, they miss their country more, they need, they feel isolated, they feel... I mean, I think that enhances it, right? Like, for instance, if I meet you in Wellington, or I'm like, oh, cool, another Indian. And then we find out very quickly that our experiences as Indians are very different, right? I've never been, uh, say, I've never yeah. been to Calcutta, or I've never, uh, this thing. And fortunately, we speak English, that's what brought us together. But beyond that, there's very different experiences. But say I meet someone who's from say, Oregon, where I studied, I'm like, hey, wait a second, I might be Indian, you may be, um, you know, a Caucasian American, but we went to the same pub or we went to the same school or something like that. I'm just trying to draw yeah. that scenario. Yeah. And if I meet a Bangalorean in, say, Wellington, I'm like, hey, cool, you went to this place. It's the experiences that is more enriching, right? Is that, I I, yeah. I, I don't know, I'm just trying to find this, um, this, this idea that we're trying to separate through all these, as you mentioned, shallow things, right? Well, I think it is, I mean, I think that's a bit less, you know, outside mm. because people are just happy to meet. Like here, almost all the Uber drivers for some reason are Indian. Mm. All of them. No wonder we uh, can't get an Uber here. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're all left. All sitting yeah. in Wellington. <laughs> <laughs> all of, a lot of them have like secondary jobs as well. Like, you right. know, some of them might, might be, you know, have a nine to five job or, a, you know, eight to two job and then Mm. they do um uber for a couple of hours in the evening so it's almost like yeah almost all of them are 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 indian and we always have a conversation usually in hindi uh, Mm. if they're from the south then in in english or something like that and it's always you know i always like that and uh, you know i always you know it's great it's great to catch up and and you know um hear about other people but i personally don't go seeking it out in a bengali association or the indian association yeah. which yeah. i think some people do and you know i'm I, i'm also i want to say that i think that's a that's a good thing like i think yeah. there should be people uh you know that i mean i'm a writer i'm a loner by definition i'm not yeah. the sort of person who goes and signs up for a committee you know but there are there are <laughs> the world needs committee organizers there oh yeah are absolutely very, very good at like hacha we're five indians we're going to start a committee this i mean who's going to organize the buffet right for you and me you and i you and i'll go eat there but uh, we need someone to bring them together bring the forces the potlucks together yeah <laughs> yeah i think i think that's why i think that is also what what i mean by personality like mm. some people are a able to organize and are interested in organizing you yeah. know based on a, a cultural association like that. And some people want that thing because they they either feel isolated or lonely or they need a connection yeah. uh, to their homeland, which I think is, is perfectly, but everybody's needs are different, you know, so yeah, and everybody's yeah. abilities are different. Um, so I, I'm obviously not in that Venn diagram. 
Yeah. But uh, that that's that that doesn't mean anything, you know. Like that's yeah, what I, yeah, what absolutely I, doesn't take away at all from yeah, absolutely. It's like not even like a point system saying you are sitting in Wellington, you do ten things, you're more, you're less Indian than me. It doesn't <laughs> yes. make sense at all. Otherwise, somebody's going to steal your Indian identity. Correct. From. Now suddenly, original, what you 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 went for an all blacks match. You're you're a Maui now. That's it. I'm done with you. <laughs> <laughs> And, and that's conversation is another one which is cropping up there, right? With the return of a lot of the practices, the rituals, the names to the um, original inhabitants of, I don't even know what the New Zealand, uh, the word, the name for New Zealand is in Maui. But I, I keep reading articles um, which suggest that there's some shift happening there. Yeah, Aotearoa, yes. Um, Aotearoa is the... Is the um, Aotearoa? Maori. Okay, that's... Yeah, te, te reo. Te reo means the language, basically. Ah. Te reo. Uh, te reo Maori, which is the language of Maori. So te reo mm. is, is um, the indigenous language yeah. of, of, of Maori, of uh, Aotearoa. So yeah, place names are coming back and I've seen it happen quite closely over the last six years that I've, I've lived here. I mean, it's, it's it's a longer time coming, but it's really caught on in the last six years that I've been here. Mm. And it's great to see. And it's a um, great conversation as well, because it is about it is about indigeneity and it is about, you know, your connection to the land and, and stuff like that. And when you think about identity that way, nobody can really strip it away because it's so connected to the land and connected mm. to um the you know the people um and maori is uh, uh the worldview they are maoris is absolutely beautiful and fascinating they have something called, called a mihi which is where you uh introduce yourself and your mm. introduction is this is my name this is uh my clan this is where my ancestors have come from this mm. is my mountain and this is my river which i think is a very beautiful a way Quite poetic, of, yeah. Yeah, of, of of describing who you are on introducing yourself because when you really think about it, we are all, you know, we are those things. We are, I mean, the natural world and does belong to us. Mm. Um, and, and we just like, you know, we've moved so far away uh, from knowing where our, what our relationship is to the natural world is what I'm trying to say. Like, um, you know, like, your mountain and your river and your field and your plain, like this, um, we're so removed from that. But mm. it's a beautiful way to think of identity or existence. Um, yeah. How did that, um, you know, because the, 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 the you know, the I, I have no clue about the, the Maori or their, um, the richness of their uh, land and what, um, they might have been through the the, the, the subjugation. I, I I think that's a conversation which is quite in depth and quite vast, and I I, I don't know um, how to even approach that. But sitting there and amidst this, and you said you know you are who you are, and you don't worry about a certain tags that are given to you. But when you wrote your book, uh, were you immersed in? that environment or were you uh, because you said it came out last year so when you're sitting here talking about uh, i'm talking about of course um the, the the book which is coming out now in the us it's called small deaths and earlier it was called death in shonagachi how did uh, that shape your writing because you're sitting uh, and also maybe you can just briefly talk about what the book is is mm -hmm. about just for people listening and mm -hmm. because you're sitting here talking about all these very 
um, fundamental shifts in identity in in Wellington, in New Zealand, and you're mm-hmm. sitting there not in Calcutta, and you're trying to write about this topic. So, how was that experience? Well, I mean, the hardest thing to write away from the place that you're writing about is mm. the weather. Mm. It's very yeah. hard if you're sitting in a is in a cold climate mm. to uh, channel heat and feel sweat. that frustration of that sweat <laughs> down your back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, but but you know, other than that, I think I honestly think that you can put a writer anywhere. You you know, I mean, we have to like if you're if a book is going well, let me put it that way, in the sense of like the actual writing of the story, if the act of writing is going well you can do it in a cave at the end of the world like it doesn't matter if you're in mauritius because i'm not reporting you know i'm not mm. i'm not a journalist i don't have to go and see it to to describe it's it's it's, it's probably very close to painting mm. um i mean sure some people might need to stare at a beautiful valley and do it but you know mm. like have to actually see it to do it but bob ross could do it in a studio Yeah. Um it doesn't really matter because what you're writing about is in your head and your heart and it's it's not it's not the objective reality. So yeah so I don't think that um I don't think that I mean I don't think that uh there was any special difference because I wrote a lot of it in New Zealand. Um mm. uh it would have been the same if I sat and wrote it in America or mm. Patagonia but mm. um yeah the book was actually written I'm just going to hold this up for those of you who are watching this yeah. is the new paperback um it's called a death in shonagachi this is the indian one um if you're in india for the rest of the world it's coming out in um on september 13th i think the uh, episode will be out by then so yeah you guys can go pick up a copy if you're living in yeah. the us and uh, yeah. yeah i if mean if you're in the us or the rest of the world it's small deaths and Otherwise, it's called in India. Um, you can find it under the title uh, "Death in Shonagachi." It's published by Pekado. Um, Two books, one book. origin, just <laughs> national identity. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it is. Yeah, I, uh, it's, it's the same book. It's the same book essentially. It's just got two different titles. The book is. Sorry, I was just like looking around to see if I had a. copy of um small debts but mm. uh, why did you I'm change not... the name was it a publisher's decision or yeah it was the publisher's decision um right. so publishing a lot of publishing uh hopes that people that people will a book will have word of mouth yeah yeah um push you know and uh if you can't say the word <laughs> yeah yeah the small death sounds a bit like a uh, you know robert galbraith kind of the the the, the kind of series the comoran strike series right like yeah. troubled blood small deaths it's, i like it i yeah. i like uh, uh, you know of course as an indian the, the word shonagachi it, it's not easy but at the same time it's not alien but i get it like it's it's um it's something that people have to uh, be able to repeat often and yeah. uh what's the book about like um What, what's the yeah. story yeah it's it's set in uh, shanagachi which uh, is in set is is in calcutta is a it's actually the largest red light district in asia mm. not just um calcutta uh obviously you know the census is always 
undercounted mm. probably more people than than we think there are in in, in Chanagachi mm. um it's uh, yes yeah, the largest grid light district so the book is entirely set there um Lali who's the main character is a 30 something sex worker who was trafficked as a child uh to Shonagachi and she is um thinking about her future and trying to get out of this life by becoming a h- highly paid um escort right so that she can um have some sense of stability and some more financial security for her future uh before you know her earning days are over so she's trying to transition into that uh there's another another main character Estilu Shao who is an erotic novelist mm. so he writes those little uh cheap erotica books that um are you know sold there's that 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 entire um market for uh cheap erotica and like 50 shades of grey but a shorter word <laughs> <laughs> no but a lot more a lot more desi <laughs> yeah a lot more of course yeah 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 <laughs> the kind you can buy in train stations right right <laughs> yes, yeah, good should they see porn. Yeah. Basically. Okay, nice. Yes. Nice. <laughs> yeah, should they he's a writer or should they see porn? He uh his dream is to become a, a a big writer someday and uh he's in love with Lali who he considers his muse and she absolutely has no uh time for him. Mm. Um and in the middle of all of this and there's a bunch of other characters uh Lali's next door neighbor a woman called Mohamaya gets um she she she's killed uh in the very first chap- chapter so right. it's not a spoiler it's just there. not giving away too much <laughs> of course we don't want you to give away too much i want to get the <laughs> no, people to get the book yeah the story begins it's right it's right in the beginning uh and and it is about how that death then um it's it's about it is uh, how that death then um has repercussions across these characters lives which is why i really like the title of death in shanagachi which is it is about a death in shanagachi it's like what happens um you know it so it's it is based on a crime but i didn't i don't think of it as a crime novel or a yeah. mystery or a thriller or any of those things it is investigating deaths that we are not investigating deaths that uh we we accept as a matter of course uh that we yeah. sl- let slip through the cracks or we don't talk about or we um just pretend don't happen and those kind of things yeah. happen and it brings to the happen. surface all these various social currents that are prevalent in shonagachi which um as you mentioned is a red light district but i think i also uh, remember reading that the 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 issues surrounding the life of sex workers right how they got there uh, the way they are living the way they are being exploited the 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 way they try some of them try to break that trap so are, are these some some of the things that you address in the book and how did you find this particular sp- i mean the location itself like why 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 shonagachi Well um I'm I've always been very interested in in um space as in geographic space not astronomy not not space not other space but mm-hmm. um I like to analyze um space and how right. we understand or think of space my phd is in a uh, relationship between sexual violence in india and public space mm. so how do we understand 
um, public space in relation to the, you know, the female body. Mm-hmm. Like, are we? How are we allowed to use it or not use it? Or what are the unwritten rules? What are the punishments? Uh, how do we exist as um, women in public space? Um, and that's also, or, or how we don't exist as as women in in public space. Um, so it comes from there. And when you think about the red light district in terms of space, it's very interesting because it's simultaneously it is allowed and not allowed. So okay. red light districts are usually the oldest parts of any town mm. in the world. It's usually it will be if you look in the history, a very very old neighborhood. And they're um, they don't move. They 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 they're there. You know they've they've been they're allowed to exist for uh, in very patriarchal and um, conservative societies. So mm. and they're often uh, illegal. You know the law is like you can you can't solicit sex work, but you can uh, be a sex worker. But you can't. So there's always this like this catch twenty two legal situations yeah it's almost like so it's, essentially, <laughs> yeah yeah they're essentially illegal places but also the oldest places right um you know so i think that in when you look at it in terms of space it's a very interesting space plus like what is a brothel is it a private space or is it a public space mm. and um and it's not just a brothel like i mean so my PhD, like, I, you know, I look at a bunch of Bollywood movies and stuff as well. So, uh, you know, Masan is a great exam- example, one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, they get caught in the hotel and, you know, the first scene in Masan where um, uh, Richa Chadda's character uh, meets a, a boy in a hotel room. And you can tell that this is their first time. They're very inexperienced and um, the hotel owner calls the police and the police come and take video of them and the guy um, in a, and basically goes on to blackmail them yeah. and arrest them. So yeah. um, the question is, is a hotel room public space or is it private space? Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And if it is a private space, then, you know, what's allowed, what's not allowed? Like, you know, I mean, like people won't call marital rape rape because it's happening essentially in a private home, you mm. know? But um, but a hotel isn't, you know. Uh, so anyway, I th- I just think that space in terms of sexual violence and uh, is is very fascinating when you look at it from that lens. Um, so I guess yeah. that's a very vague answer to. No, I think no, I, it got me thinking. No, it got me thinking. Yeah. I mean, of course, you know, the book will. Yeah. It I think is got got rave, rave reviews. Uh, but I, I, you know, want to understand this because you know that 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 entire movement around the, you know, the thing that happened in Delhi with uh, Nurbaya, right? Um, of course, wasn't the first and was definitely not the last, but it created the spark in this movement around this conversation, and obviously, women's safety in public places, the narrative of how men look at women, and. All this, all these things have been said, right? I, I'm not even sort of touching the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the issues that were raised. But, and again, it's 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 a very very vast conversation. But how how? I don't know if it again goes back to our Indian conversation. <laughs> but what is the sense of 
the 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 thing because as you said sex work is very old i mean there are courtesans there there are so many different names for them uh even with even back in time there were the male prostitutes whatever the name given to them but mm-hmm. um this whole hypocrisy surrounding sex is is such a evident thing in in these situations because um you know you you have the red light district in amsterdam which people celebrate like oh i went to the red light district and in fact it's like a joke amongst guys right oh i went to the wink wink nudge nudge and i somewhere i heard recently that they were going to move that entire red light district into a building which is going to be safer for the sex workers yeah. but the way you say red light district or not you or me uh, but maybe yeah. some person visiting it would be with a very different undertone or a different connotation when they say like oh i went to thailand wink wink nudge nudge or i went to the amsterdam red light wink wink or i went to you know like in in singapore you have the gaylan district or whatever the mm-hmm. uh, if it's a district or an area but these are the, these are all the same things the the women or the men or predominantly women are of different races or ethnic backgrounds but they're the same kind of offerings on uh, the menu sorry for sounding making it sound so um trivial but it's pretty much the same kind of work but why do we look at it with such different lenses as human beings why you know <laughs> i'm not i'm not sure I, i you know i'm not sure that i can answer for everybody yeah uh, no i just wanted uh, to understand it's, it's i don't even know if it's a question yeah. as i told you at the I, beginning i ask questions i don't have answers or no one has answers to <laughs> Well, there's always a good way to why ask questions that you already have answers to. Yeah. No, no, I don't have answers <laughs> to any of them, and I don't think it can be answered as a question. Why? Yeah, it's a good, good thing to ask. But yeah. yes, um, I think I think it's um, I think it's it's twofold. Look, I mean, sex is never about sex. Sex is mm. about power mm. and domination. That's that's all sex is about. Like, I mean, sex, sex, like music or food or language or love. is many different things hmm. it's not one thing you know uh but sex is uh paid sex or or you know in most cases a lot of sex is about power about power and domination hmm. you know like like they say rape has nothing to do with sex rape has everything to do with power it's yeah. it's just about who has who has power yeah. uh it's it doesn't matter who is sex starved it doesn't matter if there are you know the the reason there is rape is not because there are uh more skintily clad women in bollywood mm. and and ads that's not yeah, the reason yeah but if that's the case with power then just go shout at someone if you want to be more powerful then why go to the act of you know i'm i'm just sort of thinking that out is loud. Ex- that's yeah. that's the that's the same like it's not it's not that for the act of power act of power is a very uh is is a wide range of things it is yeah yeah turning off somebody's water supply yeah as a landlord you know it's not just screaming at people it's it's killing somebody it's slapping okay. somebody it's um saying you don't have right to drink from this pot the because degrees. you're low caste correct the degrees no it's yeah. all expressions of power yeah it's all about power caste is about power rape yeah. is about power you know um all of these things are about uh, uh employment often is about power yeah um the boss will get you to do very menial things because they yeah. can humans and they pat you on the back with an award saying you worked with us for 10 years we celebrate you <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean humans humans can be very inventive when it comes to um 
misusing power mm. uh, for the worse, you know? Yeah. Um, humans have, uh, in, uh, you only need to look at the the kings that India yeah. has had. That's this, <laughs> this is the same thing. So which is the same as, you know, rape is got everything to do with power. Um, and, you know, I think, so that's one thing. One thing is why we look at sex work or red light district is about power you know it's about it, it is it's that economy is that uh, that mess actually uh, it's a huge mess of power and coercion and oppression and um uh, and all of those things and that doesn't always mean that the women have no power that's not to say that the okay. women have power there is yeah. agency there is agency is also a very complicated thing like some people who in front of you don't have agency or you don't think that they have agency have agency in other contexts or in other ways you know mm. like power and agency are are more complex than people often think they are yeah um so that's one thing and the other thing is our discomfort with sex in general mm. which comes from puritanism so for in 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 you know judeo christian tradition countries it comes from um, denial of the flesh. Mm. It comes from believing that you need to suffer. Life yeah. is about suffering. So therefore, you're not anything. Any act of pleasure is actually bad, you know. And in yeah. India, it comes from the same tradition, but from, you know, 19th century Puritanism and all of those things where um, and the rest of it is, you know, taken care of with power. Yeah. But um, like our entire Devdasi system. Yeah. Um, for example, you know that's that's power and coercion. Yeah. Uh, even if you don't call it prostitution, um, yeah. harems yeah. for kings, many wives. Mm. That's the same thing, except they never got paid or mm. a chance to choose their customer. The customer mm. was the most uh, powerful man in the country. But um, I think it is broadly speaking. Uh, our discomfort, if you want to put it that way, or our um, hush hush nudge nudge mm. attitude towards sex and paid sex is a our discomfort to acknowledge how big a role power plays in sex. Mm. Uh, who buys it? Who sells it? Um, how they approach it, and our basically deep belief that we don't deserve pleasure. Or joy, mm, right? You know, we 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 are not allowed to say anything good happened to you. Like you can't you can't say that. I'm so happy. Life is going so well. Oh no no no! You're not allowed to say that. Like That's... there's a very deep rooted part of humans that are not allowed to have anything good. And if well. you say that, then the next minute someone's trying to dig some dirt on you to bring you down. And it's like, I mean, also Indians have a whole thing for that, right? Like, I mean, if you say something good is happening, something bad will for sure happen. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Know, <laughs> the whole superstition thing. It's crazy, <laughs> yeah. But did you sense through writing this book, I just, we'll probably wind up, I just want to ask, this, this idea that, okay, paid sex is exploitation. Of course it is. There are a lot of young girls, women. I, I Again, I'm not an expert on this topic, but I've heard through reading a little bit and listening to some podcasts about this, that, you know, people are, girls are sold into the sex, um, the, the, the sex trafficking um, uh, traffickers uh, across countries again, uh, 
you know, there are hubs for this, like the the like Singapore. Even though it's the most righteous country on the outside, they have it on the inside, like Dubai, or you look at in Africa, wherever it may be, it exists. Yeah. And um, that's of course a very very prevalent and dark side of sex trafficking. But but there's a very big but, and I'm going to ask the question since you've uh, written about it. I, I don't know if you've done research. Is there a like how you have independent? strong women who choose the work they want to do is there that side to sex work which you've come across oh definitely i mean okay uh, yeah if somebody picks up my book or if somebody who's who's listening to this has read the book already it is about agency it is um not at all about people who are being i mean people are, it is about people who are being exploited but that mm. doesn't mean that they don't have agency mm. so i i also wanted to problematize the idea of agency and you know it's not it's not like there's this bunch of women that just is waiting there for somebody to swoop in and save them you know yeah uh, that's that's not that's not what's happening because life just doesn't work that way um and and also like most things in life um you know things are not as simple as they first appear so um shunagachi for example last count i think they said 10000 sex workers and that's just sex workers and it's not even 10000 is probably closer to 30 to be honest and that's just sex workers so but that's but that's not it's not like shunagachi is only inhabited by sex workers yeah. shopkeepers live there because they sell they have fun believe shops you know yeah. like they sell they sell cigarettes somebody has to sell cigarettes there has to be grocery stores there there is a guy who sells meat you know it's it's a it's a, a neighborhood there are children yeah. there are schools there are old people the there is doctors, doctors there's dispensaries yeah, yeah. yeah. you know it's 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 life people have a very uh and and you know the culprit is actually bollywood because bollywood there's always you know there's so many scenes in brothels and red light districts and none of which is remotely true yeah there's just this um little uh interlude where the heartbroken hero will go and have a a night out to drown his sorrows or uh the villain will go to show how villainous he is he just goes to a red light district wow yeah. but none of them are based in reality for what they are which is a, a neighborhood <laughs> very congested neighborhood yeah. you know <laughs> with everything that a neighborhood has you're more likely and, to go into a meat shop than like into a brothel yeah, I mean, <laughs> looking for the wrong kind of meat like, <laughs> in fact like there are families who rent homes there because yeah. like just you know the thing is like sometimes it sounds shocking let's say there is a, a young family with who's just had a child who live in shanagachi nobody is a sex worker like you, if i tell you that you might be like wow like that but it makes sense because there's i mean not makes sense but in the sense it's 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 in some way you're not going to get bothered and there are a lot of women around to help is that makes no, sense no it's not just makes sense it's if on it makes sense in terms of logistics it's a yeah. big city yeah people don't always find houses to rent yeah. Yeah. you know like it's just like but well, you know if somebody just it's just I'm a just home yeah. This, yeah i'm yeah. just saying that like because i mean the book is based on about seven, i mean it took me 7 years to write and it's based on mm. years of research because i did yeah. a phd on this topic but i mean i'm just i'm just saying this like it's not like i knew all of this before i started looking into it but at the end of the day it's 
it, it was sometimes it's like well obvious obviously you know it's yeah. like yeah obviously there are families who live there because yeah. it's a big city some people maybe that's the only place they could find to rent yeah. or whatever yeah yeah so um so similarly you know shanagachi is not it's not like everybody who is doing sex work in shanagachi was trafficked into you know right. either like right. i mean which is not to say that people who were trafficked into it also are not don't have um agency you know it, it, i'm just saying that there is no one size fits all it's very like, complex yeah, yeah yeah it's very complex i met a woman there um she's a sex worker very beautiful very young she was absolutely shocked that i don't have a retirement plan she's like what is your retirement i was like i don't have one i don't have it. i don't know if i can even retire she she actually has um with partners she is an investor in a shrimp exportation business to the us so she <laughs> she her crazy. business yeah. exports small shrimp the tiny shrimps to uh, to us one of the main customers are the um, chinese restaurants in new york city that's like, enterprising which you never sort of give them the credit for and she's and she's a sex worker and she's not very educated but she has a very good financial brain like she's yeah, yeah. one of those people she understands like she's very um she's very good that way you know like th- that's a way that my brain just doesn't work for example i mean so, they, they have skills that, that we don't uh, recognize in them right doing I mean, sex work is the label we give them but what you're saying is they have so many things some might be amazing um what do you call that like they might make amazing masalas or they might make amazing dresses or they might make whatever it may be which you don't even think that they are worth that because they're you think that they're on their backs the whole day doing sex work right i mean and and they do but like people i'm just saying that like humans are just more complex than yeah, yeah. it's not it's not just about say education or training or talent or any of those things it's just um it's is that every human being circumstance is more unique than anybody ever imagines they are you know so um but you know for example so there are people who've been trafficked there but there are also housewives who drop their children off um and they go do uh, sex work in shonagachi rent a uh, you know if they get a customer they yeah. have this they, they can get a free room and pay the room fee uh for three days a week a few hours you know nobody knows at home they yeah. might you know say that they're waiting outside the school for their kid but they come here and they do this um there are college kids lots of them and you don't even have to be in shanagachi a lot of this can be done you know yeah. over whatsapp and all of yeah, those yeah, things yeah, yeah, technologies yeah. that really changed but i'm just saying that sex work is not all one kinds size fits all, yeah yeah, you know? yeah it's yeah, not yeah. like and also like even the most abject cases like it's not like people are waiting around to be rescued either you know it's mm. just like there's a whole political debate about whether sex work is work and if it is work then why are they not given labor rights right because you know, there there's a huge history in in our in our world not just in india of fighting for our labor rights so if if you are a laborer like if you can work in a mine yeah and you you have the right to unionize and claim your labor rights and have a say two day weekend uh, or a whatever you know all these hard fought rights that nobody came and gave us right like the world fought for these rights to be recognized why are these people labor. being given yeah, those so, same rights yeah 
and also like in every profession the the idea is that you can better your life through your profession if you're yeah. an electrician if you work in a mine if you're an agricultural laborer you're doing this to better your life yeah. somehow sex work is the only industry where you need to be somehow rescued from your industry you know it's i mean it's it's not like mining is a particularly great industry oh, it's, it's it's yeah it's in fact you know? physically more harmful in some ways yeah yeah i mean it, it, mining is is horrible you know it's not that there is no exploitation there it's not that fishing doesn't have any exploitation but there's a lot of moral connotations with um you know things like that so you know so you have to rescue this women and then these women uh and and the and the and the um sarkari alternative is um pickle making or petticoat making or sewing classes mm. that's not going to be enough for most of these are single women yeah. who are uh, or or single mothers sorry or they are uh, married a lot of them are married and um they are taking care of their husbands they're the sole breadwinner right. they're, they're the ones for the family they're the ones gender roles are are a bit skewed there mm. so the husbands usually don't do it like they do a uh, housework a lot of housework and stuff um the women is the uh, are the more uh, the breadwinners but i mean they're not going to like all the children are in school they're like any other parent they want their children to you know have a good education uh become doctors engineers and stuff like that um and that's not going to happen in modern india in in a big city with them making pickles you know so yeah. no you kind of yeah when i i kind of said that right like the recipes or the masalas it's kind of what's been sold to you right that that's all they good for but you're right like that lady who has the shrimp export uh, steak in the shrimp export you they they want to recognize their potential and not um subjugate them to the label of not being good enough for anything except being exploited it opens up possibilities that are not even acknowledged yeah i mean it, and including within sex work if somebody wants to stay in sex work yeah there are ways to make it safer there is ways to yeah. make it uh you know there is ways dignified. to make it sustainable yeah yeah and 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 dignified and um you know and and you know life isn't life doesn't work that way it's not like i rescue you from this and i put you in that and yeah. therefore we have a happy ending like like you know, pretty I mean, woman yeah yeah i mean the people with the uh, people with the uh, graduate degrees in india most of india like most of people who are in low paid manual labor jobs probably have have bachelor's degrees at this point of time you know yeah. like yeah. it's not like i mean it's it's not like we we have an abundance of of um, jobs for people yeah and people think automatically that you work at a bank you work in a tech park you have a respectable job but many yeah. of these people are commuting for 4 hours a day and they can't take care of their kids because they don't get to see their kids because the kids are in school the whole time so yeah you what you i think it, it's really nice that you captured it the way you did is that there's no one right way at the same time don't discount one and don't glorify the other yeah i mean labor you know labor is 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 a complex issue and the problem is we don't recognize labor uh in many ways like we 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 confuse labor with morality we confuse mm. labor with uh worth and dignity so we never we, we never look at labor objectively mm. as as um as a commodity 
in fact you know i mean it, it labor is a, is a commodity labor is also a, a political point like all the things that we have the five day weekend the saturday sunday off the salary hr process these are all hard fought political battles that yeah. they were not they were not dropped from the sky because uh, because we could demand the uh, you know um the fruits of labor but we don't we don't consider uh, a scavenger a manual scavenger's labor mm. worth as much as uh the labor of someone else you know and Or, that's something uh, i yeah. hope we see positive change with because that's something which yeah. is so like a carpenter is not seen as valuable as a lawyer while and that's what exactly what happens now when the person doesn't value that that particular craft you have diminishing quality like no one wants to make good furniture because no one wants to no one is told that being a carpenter is a dignified good job and as a result mm-hmm. you have like really cr- like really shitty chairs and things that are falling apart because you resort to the likes of you know IKEA or Amazon where you just get something because oh it's a chair but it doesn't last because uh, or even something like plumbing or as you said like what, what the topics we've spoken about but it's only those three. i mean you can't have a society filled with only engineers and it people right yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's a, a very good point and um, thanks for capturing it so um i think in a very clear way because it's kind of it's it's something that people need to acknowledge Thanks, Andy. Yeah. Now, I think, uh, and I hope you know, uh, there's positive change even when it comes to the quality of lives and uh, recognition in 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 people's potential and the human spirit. And um, for people who haven't read your book, um, it's small deaths in outside India, and in India, it's called death uh, in Shonagachi. Um, thank you so much, Rajula, for joining me uh, and having a fun chat because you know it it really was eye opening for me in many ways in many. spaces so thanks thanks for having me sandeep uh, once the there's an audio book so i ho- i hope you um listen to it and if oh, you lovely. listen to it let me know how you liked it yes yes i'm going to do that hopefully i will read it before the, I, i record the introduction for this so then i can give people um you know i'm not like you need my review but i'll tell people <laughs> how good it is and compel them to go read it but um really appreciate it and uh, hope we can meet at some point in our respective countries <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, i'm often in bangalore my brother lives there so oh fantastic sure. okay do uh, sure. drop me an email when you're here next and yes. we'll catch up bangalore is the next big uh, bengali city so <laughs> yes i know uh, friends of mine who are bengali uh, who live here and yes um yeah. uh, i grew up with a couple of them so yeah they they um the fun <laughs> Thanks for having me Sandeep. Good Have luck with everything. Good luck with the launch yeah, of the Small Deaths and I hope uh, you know it gets all the accolades that it deserves and uh, talk to you soon and take care of yourself. Thanks you too. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast and I would much appreciate it if you could like the video share it with people who you think might enjoy it and of course do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you so thanks again appreciate it